Hello everyone, I'm Ellis Traub and this is Money, Business and More. For a program that's hopefully gaining a reputation for giving good, sound, how-to advice, this podcast will probably seem to offer an awful lot of why-to advice. But it's my belief that if you understand why we suggest the things we do, then you don't have to memorize or write down the stuff we recommend. Those things will come naturally, or at least doing them will make more sense to you. And I might add, since you can listen to podcasts when you're driving, shaving, or putting on your makeup, you won't have to take notes. So let's take a deep dive into networking. Just so you know, the first definition you get with Google is that it's the exchange of information or services among individuals, groups, or institutions. This is an activity that everyone takes for granted as being good for business. But most people simply don't get anywhere near the full benefit they should for the time and energy they put into it. You might be surprised at how many people measure their networking success by the number of business cards they go home with and think they're good leads. Then there's the other group that measures their success by how many they hand out. They hope that someone will keep their business cards and call them when they need what they have to offer. Think of what a fantastic event you could have if you put the two groups together and turn them loose on each other. You could even make a business of buying boxes or cards from the second group, sorting them into piles and putting the piles back into the empty boxes, and selling them to the first group. Look at all the trouble you'd be saving them, right? Well, let's get serious here. We haven't got all day. We're going to talk about why we network. That'll help make more sense when we talk about how we do it and the tools we have at our disposal. And finally, we'll talk about how we pick the events, venues, or groups to spend our time and efforts with. Now, I think that we can all agree that for both givers and seekers of business cards, in the silly scenario I described a moment ago, the purpose was essentially the same to increase your sales by either finding buyers you might sell to directly or finding others who might refer buyers to you. Essentially, you're looking for leads. But if all you do is exchange business cards and and engage in small talk, you're wasting your precious time and money. Business cards aren't leads. They're names and addresses of people you'll need to convert to leads And there may be one level above what you can buy from a mail order or email house. You're looking for quality leads. You want to go home with a list of people who need what you have and are interested enough to spend some time with you while you show and tell them how you can solve a serious problem, give them something they need or want, or otherwise be of value to them. And that's the key. At the same time, you don't want to bother with those who either have no need for what you're selling, even if they're nice enough to let you talk to them. Every contact in any networking event is, in essence, a sales call. So let's look at the anatomy of a sales call and see where the parallel is. The first step in a successful sales call is establishing rapport. 
It's easy when you're networking. All you have to do is smile and extend your hand for a handshake. Establishing trust is the next element. Now here's the first twist you might not have expected. The best way to do that, believe it or not, is not by telling the other party anything about yourself. That's putting the cart before the horse. Think about it. At this point, there's nothing about yourself you could tell them they would have a reason to believe because they don't know you at all. To believe you, you've got to have established some measure of trust already. So instead of rolling out your spiel or delivering your elevator pitch, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, tell the other party your name and ask a question. Hi, my name's Marlon Gump. What line of work are you in? And then keep the questions coming without volunteering any more about yourself. Listening carefully and asking logical follow-up questions does three things for you. First, it shows you're really interested in them and their story by listening and taking the trouble to find out what their needs or wants are. Doing this disarms people who, at such events, are accustomed to meeting people who are interested only in getting their own stories across and not listening to theirs. What better way to plant the seeds of trust? Second, it allows you to learn as much as you can about the person you're talking to. You can qualify him or her as a prospect and find out what their needs are. That makes it easier for you to analyze your ability to satisfy those needs. And the more you learn about that person, the better you'll be able to focus on just those things that are important to him or her and not distract or bore them with stuff that doesn't matter to them. And finally, and most importantly, you can achieve a tangible and measurable result. If your approach has been truly successful, the time will come in your conversation when the other party will want to reciprocate and will ask about what you do. This is the point where we talk about the tools at your disposal. They fall into two categories. The first is your elevator pitch, and the second is your printed material, most often a business card or brochure. Your elevator pitch is one of the most valuable tools you can equip yourself with for networking. To learn more details about it, you might want to listen to the podcast we did earlier about your mission statement. Where the mission statement is a terse and formal declaration of who you are, what you do, how you do it, who you do it for, how they benefit, and the principles that govern the way you do business, the elevator pitch is an informal conversational statement of essentially the same thing. The term comes from the notion that if you stepped on an elevator with someone who might be able to help you in some way or another, by the time you reach the first floor, you should be able to convey all of that information informally and compellingly without hesitation or hemming and hawing. The only other difference is that instead of telling the other person about your guiding principles, what a highly principled, wonderful person you are, or something like that, you'd replace that part of it with a question like, does that sound like something you'd like to help me with? Invest in? Put some money into? Join me in doing? Lend some money to help me with? Plan my advertising campaign? And so on. As you can see, it's a way to save time, get your message across efficiently, and perhaps get someone to take an interest in doing something for you. 
My partner, Richard Kirshen, recommends an additional twist to this device that makes it a whole lot more effective, and I've started to do it too. He suggests that when you create your pitch, you pause when you're considering who you do it for and how it benefits them, and come up with some outlandish exaggeration of that concept or thought. For example, if you offer wallpaper, then make that into... I make people's homes into the heaven they're supposed to live in. Or if you sell shoes, turn that into, I make people walk on a cloud. You get the idea. It's a clever way to create curiosity. He makes the point that nine times out of ten, a statement like that will get a response like, how do you do that? And voila, you're engaged and now you have a perfect opportunity to launch into your pitch. Now you're talking with someone who's expressed an interest in what you do and how you do it. Then you can go on to ask whatever questions you need to keep them engaged. Simple enough, huh? The second tool you have is your printed material. As I said, this is most often a business card. Ideally, it will contain the same information that you include in your elevator pitch, but there's no reason you can't also include a statement of your guiding principles if there's room. But for me, I'd use the idea that Richard came up with to produce a slogan to put on that card or brochure. And it would arouse the curiosity of those who see it to find out how you do what you say you do. So let's pick it up where we left off. Your networking prospect is impressed because you've been interested in him or her and haven't fit the mold of being pushy. So they finally ask you what you do. Ta-da! Now is the time for your elevator pitch, and because you've established a measure of trust, you've done some research, and now know what they need or want or what problem they need solved, you're in a perfect position to accomplish your goal, to acquire a qualified prospect you can convert into a sale at some point. At that point, you have a legitimate reason to ask for their card. Ask if it would be okay for you to give them a call in the next week or two and to expect a good reception when you do. They might even ask you for your card or brochure, and that's almost the equivalent of closing. Your goal was to create a high-quality lead, and a person who wants to memorialize their meeting with you is just that. How many calls do you suppose you might get from somebody you just gave your card to without that preamble? The moral of this story is the one I've been harping at throughout my podcast. To paraphrase a past president, ask not what your prospect can do for you, ask what you can do for your prospect. What entitles you to their business is the value that you can provide to them, and don't you forget it. When you talk to these people, stay away from your pitch until you've found out what value you can be to them, and then forget about anything else you might want to say and stick to that. Okay, we've talked about why and how we network successfully. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk about how to pick the best places to do it. Did you know that you have access to a personal mentor to help you with your business issues? Whether you're starting a new business or trying to improve the way an existing business runs, you'll find them at SCORE.org. This is the website for SCORE, the Service Corps of Retired Executives. It's an arm of the U.S. Small Business Administration and consists of thousands of volunteers in more than 300 cities across the United States. And the best part is, 
that their services are offered at no cost to you. At SCORE.org, you can enter your zip code and find a list of local mentors, each showing his or her areas of expertise, and you can schedule your own appointment at a convenient time and location. SCORE also offers a variety of regular workshops presented by professionals in their fields. You can see a current schedule of those events and pre-register on the spot. Some general classes are offered free of charge, while others have a modest fee, which is usually discounted for pre-registration. Check it out! SCORE is the place to go to find someone whose experience may be just what you need. Okay, here you are, loaded for bear, and you know just what you need to do to get the most out of time you spend networking. Let's give some thought to who you should do it with. Typically, you have two different objectives when you network. The first is to meet and cultivate the interest of potential customers or clients, people who have a use, a need, or a desire for what you have, and who only need to know that you provide it, that you're trustworthy, and that you genuinely are interested in providing solutions to their problems or a benefit to them. The second is to meet and become acquainted with others, perhaps in your own or a related business, who will eagerly refer you to still others in their circles, and more importantly, will vouch for your ability to meet their needs, the quality of what you provide, the integrity with which you deal with them, or the value you provide. This is an entirely different situation, of course. There's a third that's worthy of attention, too, and that's networking to cultivate the acquaintance of information from your peers and colleagues in the same business as you, essentially your competition. You'd be surprised how many of your competitors who, in an environment where they're rubbing elbows with their peers in the same industry, are willing and even happy to share information that will help with pricing or other tips and tricks that have helped them, and who recognize that there's more to gain from sharing information with competitors than there is to harboring their secrets. It's true. There's plenty of business for everyone, and friendly competition is far better than hostile opponents vying for the same market. This kind of collaborative activity actually increases the size of the pie instead of scrapping over the same piece of that pie. Okay, let's run through where you can or should find opportunities to network. You develop the skill set. Now it's time to expose those skills in the right place. First of all, you should hone those talents wherever you go, standing in line at a supermarket, sitting in your dentist office, or waiting to get your hair cut or blown out. Strike up a conversation just as we suggested above. Hi, I'm so-and-so. Do you live around here? And then think about whether what you could do could be of any value to them. If so, ask whatever questions you can to confirm it, and then ask if they have a problem with whatever it is you can solve. You know the drill. You may not get many sales from it, but you might get some referrals. Or not, but at least you're practicing. The best venues, of course, are those that cater specifically to those who are most likely to need what you offer. If you cater to businesses, then look at associations that represent those businesses. Use Google to search for associations, organizations, or other groups that represent them or advocate for them, and see about joining them. 
Joining the Chamber of Commerce is a good idea for you if you serve a variety of different kinds of businesses. And you can also find out a lot about specific businesses through that organization. Just a word about joining. Do it. But again, focus on how you can best be of value to them. You'll be surprised how much more you come away with by providing voluntary service effectively. The associations you make are excellent in establishing a reputation for going out of your way to, to help others with no strings attached can go a long way toward establishing that element of trust so important to business relationships and ultimately to doing business. For products and services that are aimed at individuals, families, and homeowners, you can become active in your own homeowners or civic association. You can do the same by volunteering to give some of your time to optimists or lions clubs or other charitable associations. But a word of caution is in order here. Be sure that you don't join these organizations for what's in it for you. Join committees and do the work. Come up with ideas to further their causes and show by your actions that you're the kind of person who puts the well-being of others high on your list of priorities. Anyway, to sum it all up, we know that money by its very definition is merely a token of whatever value you provide to others. Networking is a great opportunity to offer that value. Done with that in mind, it's the best way to get new customers to create productive collaborations and to learn enough from the experience of others to avoid having to learn it yourself the hard way. As a final comment, I just want to say that the more value you offer to others with no strings attached, the more value you'll ultimately receive. I know it sounds a little idealistic, but I can tell you from my own experience, and not most, but every success I've had, and fortunately I've had more than my share, has been the result of volunteering. And even today, I get the greatest fulfillment by volunteering my time and effort to help others through...